0: Well, we're now in the third week of a series called Preparing the Next Generation. And we're looking at the historical count in First Chronicles, chapters 28 and 29. And in these chapters, King David is turning over leadership of the nation to his son, Solomon. And the last two weeks, we looked at first that David declared that it's God that establishes each generation. And then last week we looked at God equips each generation with faith, wisdom, and courage so that they can be strong and do it. But each generation has to take this to heart. It has to be God's work has to be personal for them in their lives. And so today we're going to look at the the example of joyful generosity. And we're going to ask ourselves the same question David is going to ask which is who will offer willingly. So let's pray before we read God's word here. Dear God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are the living God who lives and works in every generation. And, um, and we, ha- we have this account here of how you worked in David in that generation um, so that we can see what you did and, and how their hearts were changed and what it looked like when they followed you and pray that we would take this to heart and um, but also see you and draw near to you um, and receive grace for each day and pray this in jesus name amen so first chronicles we're looking at chapter 29 verses 1 through 9 and david the king said to all the assembly solomon my son Whom alone God has chosen is young and inexperienced, and the work is great, for the palace will not be for man, but for the Lord God. So I have provided for the house of my God, so far as I was able, the gold for the things of gold, the silver for the things of silver, and the bronze for the things of bronze, the iron for the things of iron, the wood for the things of wood. Besides, great quantities of onyx and stones for setting, antimony, colored stones, all sorts of precious stones and marble. Moreover, in addition to all that I have provided for the holy house, I have a treasure of my own, of gold and silver. And because of my devotion to the house of my God, I give it to the house of my God. 3,000 talents of gold, of the gold of Ophir, and 7,000 talents of refined silver for overlaying the walls of the house and for all the work to be done by craftsmen, gold for the things of gold and silver for the things of silver. Who then will offer willingly, consecrating himself today to the Lord? Then the leaders of fathers' houses made their freewill offerings, as did also the leaders of the tribes, the commanders of thousands and of hundreds, And the officers over the king's work, they gave for the service of the house of God 5,000 talents and 10,000 derricks of gold, 10,000 talents of silver and 18,000 talents of bronze and 100,000 talents of iron. And whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord in the care of Jehiel the Gershonite. Then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly, for with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. And David the king also rejoiced greatly. And so I, I find two main lessons for us in this text. And, and the first is the example of generosity. And, and the second is the mutual joy in generosity. And, and these were lessons I, I believe were, were meant for the original audience and for us. And the original audience were the Jews returning from exile in Babylon, which means a quick overview of Jewish history here. So we're going to go back. The nation of Israel started slavery in Egypt. God delivered them, and then through Moses, he gave them the the law. And then they lived in kind of tribal little time of chaos for almost 300 years until God raised up David to be the first king to unite the whole nation, all the tribes as one nation. And then David's son, Solomon, built the temple of the Lord God in Jerusalem. And David and Solomon, then are the, they are the spiritual high point in the history of the Jewish people, of the nation of Israel. Because then after Solomon, the whole nation just gets more corrupt <laughs> and more corrupt, and they, they just keep ignoring God and keep ignoring his prophets until their corruption is so bad, God, allows their enemies to conquer them. And those who survive are then taken away in exile to Babylon. But God has mercy on them and after 70 years in exile, there is a new king of Babylon and he allows the Jewish people to return to Jerusalem, to return to their homeland. And they do and they start rebuilding and they start rebuilding the temple. But the project kind of stagnates it kind of stalls and it's neglected and so God raises up more prophets he raises up men like Ezra and like the prophet Haggai to exhort encourage the people to finish the project and it's about that time period that chronicles was written and chronicles is kind of you could think of it as a as a theological history They're not trying to be exhaustive to cover every little detail that ever happened in their history. They're trying They're recording what happened with a focus on the spiritual heart of each generation throughout their history. And so when we look at this, this part of their history, they're recalling this for a reason because this is the spiritual high point. David was a man after God's own heart and this generation with him, they were a generation that willingly gave themselves to God. And Chronicles not only gave the the later people something to aspire to, it also was a promise to them of what God could do in the heart of a generation. And therefore, it's a promise to us, too, of what God can do in our hearts. So in chapter 29 here, we have this example of generosity and while I was studying for this, I was reading up on a lot on what others have found in the Bible about the practice of generosity. And I was amazed about how so many of these, of the other teachings of the Bible, the Proverbs and all the other teachings on it, they're all lived out in these chapters. They're all on display here. And it's, it made it much more fun to just watch it come alive. And like, oh, they're, they're doing that right here. Uh, so, for instance, one author talked about, hey, here's the value of generosity. Um, Having, within your family, have a giving discussion. Talk with your children about like, hey, here's what we're going to give to and here's why we're doing it. And because in those family discussions, you are, you're sharing your values, you're learning what your children value, you're learning what's on each other's hearts, but you're also passing down values, you're passing down wisdom. Here's how to give in a way that is, that's wise and effective for good, that gets results That actually helps. So, David here, when I read that, it's like, oh, here's wisdom. The Bible talks about that. And I'm like, David, he's having a giving discussion with his son Solomon, but but he's doing it publicly before the whole nation. So, everyone gets to be part of this giving discussion. And this, this event here, this public event, nationwide event, this would be like our presidential inauguration event, except, even more significant for these people. Not necessarily because it's a bigger event or more, you know, more people involved, but because of the significance to the people. Because our inaugurations, right, they happen every 48, four or 8 years approximately. A king turning over would be every 40 years. This is a once-in-a-generation event. So, so every member of the nation of Israel who could get to Jerusalem was probably there huge event. And so I I was trying to think like what contemporary modern event would help us understand how significant this was. And the best thing I could find was the the British monarch. Because back in June, Queen Elizabeth II celebrated her Platinum Jubilee. And the Platinum Jubilee celebrates 70 years. Queen Elizabeth II has been Queen of England for 70 years, longer than any other British monarch before her. And very likely, no one's going to come close to this again anytime soon. Uh, Simply because she she started very young (laughs) when she started to rule. She started in her 20s. And, you know, so even her children, even her grandchildren are too old. Even if, you know, even... Even if they started ruling next year, they're not going to, they're, they're starting too late. They're, so this isn't going to be repeated. This is their celebration, once in a century, once in a many centuries event, um, that's, that's the closest thing I could compare here, then, for with what this, this turning over of kings meant for the nation of Israel. They were having this historic milestone. But I really want us to look at, at the nature of it, the quality of it, to what what the was talked about, what David did as he talked about this. Because if you contrast that, this kingly coronation with our own presidential inaugurations, the contrast becomes really clear. Because you look at our recent inaugurations and half the nation celebrates and half the nation throws a tantrum. And then and the new guy immediately does every executive action that the previous guy did. And still the legislative branch can barely agree to fund the things that are already in law, uh, let alone agreeing on anything new. So I want, I'm ask, ask you to imagine with me here briefly, we'll, go, we'll imagine here what, it would, what ours would look like if it had this nature of David here, of what David was doing. So basically the new, imagine the, the outgoing president coming up and saying, okay, here's, here's the new president you know a new guy, I want, to, I want to let you know the government's fully funded through your whole term, including all of the planned building projects. And on top of that, I've, I've personally donated all my savings and my retirement plan, every all of it, because I don't want none of this good enough for government work. I want you to have the best quality possible. So just I'll just take a little cabin at Camp David, stay there. I'll good. <laughs> And then you know he turns then to all the okay, all you government administrators, all the citizens, all of you. Okay, I know the new guy is young and inexperienced, but he's got this. He's chosen for this. He's the right man for the job. I'm fully confident in him. So I want all of you to get behind him and support him. So who's going to do this? Can can you imagine? <laughs> It's, it's ludicrous to us, right? Like, can you imagine a, a presidential turnover in our nation that sounded anything like that? It's, it's unimaginable to us. But also unimaginable is the people's response. Because the people responded to David with extravagant generosity of their own. And, and our natural response to that kind of generosity is, is skepticism to say, hey, this, this can't be a real story. They must have made this up to motivate people later or something because people aren't like that. People don't give like this. Because we know our own nature too well. We, we know too many people, and or we felt it ourselves, people are stingy. <laughs> They're stingy for thousands of reasons. Sometimes it's greed, but not always. Sometimes it's just caution, just just. We're, we're cautious and we don't give freely or generously because of fear or because of worry because we we, we need to keep make sure we have that safety net or because We're just we've been we can't trust We've been manipulated and conned and disappointed too many times I have and I know you all have and and too often It's the people who know that we're generous who know us best friends, it sometimes even family who try to take advantage of our generosity to get what they want. And so it, it is hard. It's hard to keep, to, to keep healthy boundaries and yet keep a generous heart in yourself at the same time. It, this is just hard to do. So often we end up closing our hearts and we forget how to give generously. And the Bible does not pretend otherwise. Like, that, that very much, David and his generation are an anomaly. You look at before them, and it's just, it's 300 years of, of chaotic brutality. And you look after him, and it's injustice and impression. It's like, finally, they had a, a godly, good person who actually brings stability, and, and therefore, with that pro- stability, prosperity, And then everyone after that took that prosperity and used it to oppress everyone else. Like, there's human nature on display, just (laughs) both ways. Um, So the Bible doesn't pretend that human nature is otherwise. The the remarkable thing is that this generation was so moved by God, they they were moved to this peculiar unity and generosity of heart. And, and their example is recorded here for us to aspire to. And so I want to look at just some, some highlights of this example here. David's generosity. We see that he gave wisely. He, dis, he discussed it with his family and with his community, with the nation. But there was also there was a purpose to his generosity. And that purpose motivated both the care and the commitment. And... He gave, it was for a specific project, and that project had specific milestones, very carefully planned out, mapped out. And there was proper oversight and accountability. That's included, obviously, the new king, Solomon, and his government, but also we see his officers, like this guy, um, Jehiel the the Gershonite. I have no idea how that's supposed to be pronounced. I'm just putting that out there. Um, Jehiel the Gershonite, who was accountable for the precious gems that were donated. So there was accountability in the project. And then we also see David gave for others' benefit. None of this was going to benefit him. It was for those who would come after him. David is like the story of that old man who plants a tree for the future generations. The old man's never going to get to enjoy the tree. The tree's going. it's gonna, he's going to be gone before the tree is fully grown. But if he doesn't plant the tree, the future generations will not, it will not be there for the future generations to enjoy. And, that, and David is like that man here. So he's, he's doing this for others. And David made sure the project was done right. He, he first ensured that the essentials were fully funded, but then he personally gave to make sure that the most excellent quality would be used. And so, for your information, three thousand talents of gold is roughly worth seven billion dollars today. So, because a talent is seventy-five pounds of gold, so you—I did the math. <laughs> roughly seven billion dollars. So David fully committed himself to this. Uh, you, you realize how extravagant he gave to this, and his generosity was contagious. He gave publicly to give others the opportunity to give as well. And, and often we, we shy away from giving publicly um, because we think our, our giving has to be secretly and in private because we don't want to become a Pharisee. We don't want to give just for show, to, just to make it a show. Hey, look, I gave more than anyone else. You know? Obviously, we don't want to become that. But that doesn't mean there's no value in public giving. David showed that there is value to occasionally giving publicly because... Generosity is contagious. You're giving others an opportunity to join in and join in the blessing of generosity. And so people saw David's example and they joined in and then they became part of the example too. And so David asked them, who will offer willingly? And every one of them confirmed their choice through action, through generous action. And that action, when they joined in, that brought them joy. There is joy in generosity. And uh, we, we see this in two part, two verses in this chapter here. First, verse three, we see kind of the purpose, the, the, what was behind the heart of the joy. David did this because of my devotion to the house of my God. I give it to the house of my God. So David's heart was fully devoted to to God in every way, and so he held nothing back, but then also we look at verse 9, and then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly, for with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord, and David the king also rejoiced greatly, and so like I said, I was reading what others have found about generosity, and I was reading an article from uh, Elliot Clark. As he was studying 2 Corinthians, chapters 8 and 9. And in that chapter, Paul is, the Apostle Paul is, he's motivating the Corinthians to fulfill their promise to give. They, they had, they had promised to give for the famine in Jerusalem, and he's coming, and he was giving all these motivations to follow up and do that. And as I read the, this guy's article listing all these together, I noticed like, these are all lived out in First Chronicles, like in this history here. All those teachings, all those motivations are lived out here. It's like the, the same Holy Spirit inspired both, all the Bible. Wow, <laughs> surprise. <laughs> the same Holy Spirit it was in the heart of that generation, was in the heart of Paul's generation. He's the same Holy Spirit at work in us today. And so the first thing here is, is that generosity builds joy in the heart. Um, we generosity builds joy in the heart and it builds joy in the heart in your heart because stepping up proves your faith it when you take action you're confirming to yourself the faith that you have that the faith that you know is in your heart but, the, but when it's lived out you confirm its it, it, the reality of it for yourself and so there's joy in your heart because you know that that virtue that generosity that's in your heart from God is real. Because genuine virtue, when it's lived out, it brings joy. And then there's joy in seeing others step up with you. Uh, That that first guy is always a little unsure, right? Just like, will I be the only one committed to this? Will I be doing this alone? And so there's joy when others stand with you. But then there's also joy seeing them Rejoicing because they're finding that same faith and love and virtue in their own hearts. And now now you have that in common. So there's that shared joy there. And then there's joy in freedom from shame. Uh, Having no shame because you know that when others stepped up, you didn't hold back. You gave and stepped up too. But then there's also joy from having no shame because you did it without hypocrisy. You know, you, you gave for others' benefit, not for yourself, not for show, not for anything, for yourself. Um, and, and there's just joy in the heart when the heart acts freely, free from greed or corruption. And just knowing, hey, the heart, my heart, is, my heart did this freely, and there's joy in that. And there's freedom in, in giving for others' good and giving for God's glory. And then there, there's joy in living up to just living up to the best that we aspire to uh, knowing that you are pursuing that you're doing that and then there's joy and being free from what tied us to the costs because because giving generously is, it's going to be sacrificial it's going to cost you something but when we give up what tied us to those costs there's there's freedom in that newfound ability that joy to be to give freely and I think here of kind of comparing it to maybe athletes or musicians because an athlete, all athletes know that there is, to, you have to experience some, um, you have to push through the pain, right, to play harder, to play better than you've ever played before. You have to push through the pain because, so like I was a runner and, and no one likes you know, the fatigue and the cramps, and the pain when you're running, no, no one enjoys that. But when you push through it, when you accept that that is the cost of building strength and you build up that endurance, then there is freedom in that. There's freedom in the ability to run more than you've ever run before. Like right now, I am not free to go run nine miles. I can't, I do not have that ability. (laughs) Um, Or maybe, I don't even think three. (laughs) I wouldn't make it that far. Um, But when you, but I remember when I could, and there was, and yes, there was a lot of pain to get there, but there was a lot of freedom in being able to do it. Or think of musicians, musicians have to sacrifice lots of, of concentration and time to put in the practice. But when you build the skill and the talent and the ability It opens up a whole new world of music to you because now you are free to play music that you could not before. You're free to make music, and it's a freedom that is a joy to you, but then it's also a gift and a blessing to others. And then I also think of just anyone who is in a leadership position of any type because so many things hold us back from being good leaders, and we often sabotage ourselves because be to lead you have to be willing to sacrifice your own selfishness but also your your own insecurities and fears you have to commit to a way of doing things knowing that the results of it might be a long time in coming but when people are led well there there's shared joy in working together in sacrificing together and everyone stepping up and doing their part to get the, the end result and the joy is not necessarily in, in your little work part of the puzzle, because maybe that job is not pleasant. <laughs> but there is joy in having it all come together and work and working out well. So there's joy in freedom to do good. And there's joy because God loves it. And when you're doing when you are doing this, then you are sharing in his joy. You're with God when we live for him generously. And the same God who moved in that generation also wants to work in your heart. And he's got a a much greater example for us than King David. He has the, the newer and greater King David. He gave us the example of his son, Jesus Christ. And it's through his son, Jesus Christ, that God plants generosity in you. Because he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be your Savior. So that your heart can be set free from sin. So that you can know God's joy. So that his generosity can live in your heart. Because Jesus is the one who offered himself willingly. Who consecrated himself to God fully. And he did this both in his life and in his death so we look at what Jesus taught in his earthly ministry. He taught that the way of God was the way of self-giving service. And we look first at Mark 10, verses 42 through 45. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant." And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And we think during the Last Supper, before Jesus instituted communion, he washed his disciples' feet, which is a job typically reserved for the lowest household servant. And after he did that, this is what he said to his disciples from John 13, verses 14 and 15. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. So to be a follower of Christ means to... Embrace the way of self-giving generosity. But the question for us then is how does this become genuine and not hypocritical? How do we let go of fear and greed and hardness of heart and showmanship (laughs) Um, so that this becomes genuine? And this becomes genuine in your heart by the work of God's Holy Spirit in your life when he brings the death and resurrection of Christ to you. We I'm going to look here at 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 20 through 25. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. All scripture reminds us that God loves you. He loved you so much that he gave his only son for you, to die for you. And if he willingly gave his son, what will he withhold from you? In Jesus, he has given you every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, and he's given you the hope of eternal life. In Jesus, your sins are forgiven, and you are born again. And because of his generous love for you, you can be generous from the heart. And if you don't know this generosity in your heart, if you don't know God's love in your heart, if you don't know him as your Savior, then you can know him today by coming to Him in prayer and confessing your sins to Him, calling upon Him to save you from your sins because He has promised to. That's what His death and resurrection were for. And when you trust in Him, then His Holy Spirit will live in you and He will plant that generosity and love in your heart and it will grow and grow throughout your life. Now this would probably be the point where I rally you behind some great project or something, right? But uh, that is not what I'm here to do today. Uh, instead, I just hope that this scripture has given a clear vision of what godly generosity looks like. And I hope that it's given you encouragement. There, there is joy in giving generously, in living generously. And w- whether that's giving your talent or your time your treasures or just giving a cold glass of water to a stranger or a hug to a child you know there's it's not just money is not not the only way we give um, but what i will ask you to do is to pray and pray that that god would would lead us to what he wants us as a congregation to do together um to if ask him to if there is a unique service he wants us to join in together for his kingdom and for the good of our neighbor that we can all do together and also pray for our young adults that the next generation coming up that they would find worthy causes to join in that causes that they can joyfully fully commit to and causes that honor god as well and I suspect that as we're praying both these things, there'll probably be a lot of overlap there. Those aren't separate prayers as if we're praying for the next generation, we're also praying for a congregation. We're connected, like those things are all, we're probably gonna find both together there. Um, and which is why we, all, we need to pray together then. We don't pray for these things separately, uh, privately. We also, we, we do that, but we also need to be praying together with one another and seeking the Lord together. And if the Holy Spirit leads us to something that he wants us to do together, then let's step forward willingly with joy. Amen? Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word and the the way that you move King David and his generation to devotion to you and to your kingdom and to your work. And and we thank you for your love for us, that you seek us, you deliver us, you rescue us, and you lead us on the way of of life and joy. And because of your generosity to us, you you plant that in us and make your generosity live in our hearts and we pray that we would trust you by faith and learn what it means to to live generously and freely and willingly and find that the joy that comes with that. And I pray that this would all be for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen.